Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Good morning, church. It's good to see you again. Episode 14 of House to House. And here we are on Mother's Day, May the 10th. Uh, Again, just amazing how time has flown by and that we're still not gathering all in the same place on another holiday. Easter we were doing this, now Mother's Day. But it's great to be with you. And and I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there. And uh, I pray that you have a really, really wonderful day. Um, that your family spoils you in all the ways that you like to be spoiled and, um, and just appreciates and honors you on this day. I was reading an email uh, this morning actually from someone, a parent in our church, and they were talking about some of the pressures of parenting right now and the close quarters and everybody being together, easy to lose your temper, raise your voice. Matter of fact, they were feeling some, some grief and, and guilt over having lost their temper and raised their voice with their children. We've all been there. We, I, we know what that looks like and, and understand how they're feeling. We're going to talk about some of that today on Mother's Day. As we continue on in Ephesians chapter 6, we get to verse 4. It says fathers, but literally most theologians believe it means parents, uh, not just men only. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk to parents today. But before we get into any of that, I'd love to pray with you. And I want to pray specifically for our moms today. So would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you for our mothers. Thank you for the way that they love you, the way that they love their children, their families. Lord, the way that they sacrifice. Lord, the the many hats that they wear and the way they juggle all the different things. They multitask so well. Lord, I thank you for the way you've made moms. I thank you, Lord, that they look like you because you not only have masculine qualities, Lord, you also have feminine qualities. And I thank you, Lord, that women are made in your image. And our moms today, we honor them. We rejoice in the moms that you gave us. Um, Lord, I pray that those who have moms that they can still talk to today in person or face-to-face or on the phone, that, Lord, they take advantage of that today. Those of us, our moms are with you or they've, they've gone on and passed away. Lord, we thank you for the memories that we have. And I pray, Lord, you give good memories today. And then for those women out there who are looking forward to being moms, I pray that you would encourage them today. You would speak to them, give them faith and hope in all that you have in store. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, welcome back. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, and that's where we're going to stop for just a second. You think if he's going to do one word at a time, it's going to take us forever. I won't, I promise. We won't do just one word at a time. But fathers there uh, is a Greek word that literally is masculine. So fathers is a good interpretation. But most theologians believe that in this case, in the context, it's parents, not just fathers. That makes sense because it wouldn't be wrong for fathers to get angry or provoke their children to anger, but okay for their moms to provoke them to anger. All right, so it makes sense. Really, we're talking about parents here. So this is moms and dads. Uh, I do think there's a special emphasis on fathers, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as we develop this. Father, as a matter of fact, One of the things that you need to know, when the Apostle Paul is writing this, the context of what he's writing and to whom he's writing, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, 
which is in Asia Minor. There are, it's believed that there are a number of churches that he's writing to, that this was probably a circular letter, not just to Ephesus, but to the other churches there. All of these are Roman communities. These are in the Roman Empire. So there are a lot of Romans there. Now you need to understand something about Rome. In this day when Paul's writing, fathers had ultimate, unquestioned authority in their home over their wives and their children. They could kill them. It was okay. There was no legal recourse. They could sell them into slavery. They could put them in chains and have them walk through the, through the town market. There was no legal recourse that a wife or children had. Fathers had unquestioned ultimate authority in Roman culture. Here's a point I want to bring out about that. Not that I'm advocating that or saying it's right, because it's not. But here's something that we need to understand, and I think this is the first point that we need to, to realize as parents, that you and I have to realize that as believers, when Jesus comes into our life, he changes everything, including how we parent. We cannot parent like the culture around us. The culture of this day said fathers had unquestioned, unlimited authority. That's not biblical. Um, we see that in other things. And so to, he, Paul is telling these early Christians, these, these Ephesian Christians, hey, when you parent, fathers, when you parent, don't parent like the other fathers around you, the way the culture says and what the society says. Parents, I'm saying the same thing to you and me today. We're going to have to parent in a way that looks different than the culture. Um, and we'll talk more about that as we go along. So what does the next part of the verse say? Do not provoke your children to anger. Provoke and anger, same word, kind of broken up there. Don't, and it's an interesting word for anger. It's not your normal, I'm upset or I'm irritated. Uh, I'm a little angry at this situation. Here's the thing. When you're parenting, sometimes you're going to do things that make your children angry, okay? And that's okay. That's not what he's talking about here. This is a different word that he's using. Actually, the Greek word here is where we get our English word paroxysm, literally convulsive. It's, we twist them up so much. We yank them around so much. We are so oppressive with how we deal with our children that they don't have anywhere else to go but to explode. That's the word that's used here. He said, don't treat your children that way, fathers or mothers. And mothers can do this just like fathers can. Now, it's interesting because there are two ways of raising children that can create this kind of paroxysm, this kind of anger that this Greek word talks about. And they're the contrast. They're the opposite of what the last half of this verse tells us that we're supposed to do. Here's what you're not supposed to do. The first is indulgence. You're not to indulge your children, and you're not to be too harsh with them. All right? These two extremes often create for a child this provoking to anger. If you're too indulgent, they don't know what the boundaries are. They don't know what to do. And often this indulgence leads to um, inconsistency. Because they can be going along and everything's fine and you seem to be happy. And then all of a sudden, it finally builds up because you haven't been dealing with something in their life and they don't know. And then you explode on them. And they're thinking, wait a second, I'm not sure. It was fine a moment ago. Why is it not fine now? This inconsistency, this indulgence in their life makes them very insecure and can cause them to react and rebel. Harshness, being overly harsh, also does the same thing. It causes them to think, wait a second, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Now, again, I know kids say that in general. My kids say it all the time, and I say to them what you probably say to your children, life isn't fair. It's the way it is. My dad said it to me. His dad probably said it to him. It's a classic. We'll keep it. All right? Life isn't fair. But more importantly than that, it shouldn't be harsh either. Now, there are going to be harsh things that they're going to run into, 
But in our home, that's not the model that I want them to see because it's not the model of their Heavenly Father. This harshness, this um, I'm going to rule with an iron fist. You know, you're going to do exactly what I say the way I want it done and not there are going to be severe consequences in all of that. There, there's, a, there's a harsh, overbearing, controlling spirit and atmosphere. And again, men and women can do this, either moms or dads. Paul's saying, don't do this, okay? Don't provoke them to anger. Don't be overly indulgent with them. Don't be overly harsh with them. And by the way, let me say this before I go any further. This message is not intended in any way to make you feel guilty or condemned as a parent. Because what I just shared with you, I have done both. At times I have been overly indulgent, and at other times I have been overly harsh. And if you ask my children, they would grin. They may not say it if I'm sitting right here, but they would grin and say yes. There are times where he's been probably more harsh than overly indulgent. I don't tend to err so much on indulgence as I do on harshness. Lori, on the other hand, tends to err more toward indulgence than she does harshness. We can balance one another in that. That's one of the things that happens often in a marriage. You have different gifts and perspectives, and it, it, helps, it helps when you parent together that way. Um, if you are parenting as a single parent, that's all right. The Holy Spirit will give you all that you need to fulfill that role of not being too indulgent or being too harsh. But there should be no condemnation. But what I want to do is stop right now for a moment. Before we go on, and deal with the second half of this verse and what we are to do. I want to encourage you to do something. To ask the Holy Spirit, if you're a parent, are there ways that you're being too indulgent or too harsh? And let Him show you. Again, you don't need someone else to tell you that. You don't need to read it in a book. You don't need to take society's opinion on it. You don't need to look around and say, well, nine out of ten parents do the same thing. That is not how we operate. Again, we, because Christ is our Lord, we live differently. I've heard it so often. In fact, my kids said it just yesterday. Dad, I don't know anybody else's parents who make them do a particular thing I was asking. I said, that may be true. But that's what God's led us to as a family. And we follow him and his lead, not anybody else's. And so this is not you comparing yourself to anyone else. It's you before the Lord and saying, Lord, is there any way that I'm being overly indulgent with my children or I'm being too harsh? And if he brings that to mind, why don't you take a few minutes and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I, I acknowledge, I acknowledge where I have, where I have not been filled with your spirit and how I've treated my children. I acknowledge that. And I'm asking you right now to fill me with your spirit. Now, there may be a second part of that. The Lord may lead you. As a matter of fact, I have done this many times with my kids and you can ask them where I've come to them and said, you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong in what I did here or how I said it. Now, let me point something out when you're doing this with your children. Number one, don't say, I was wrong, but you were being such a brat. All right? You really deserved it. That is not an apology. That is a bologna sandwich is what that is. All right? That's two pieces of bread with some bologna in the middle. All right? Don't do that. Okay? It's not, it doesn't do any good. Basically, you're justifying yourself. Humility comes and acknowledges, I was wrong. Period. End of story. I was wrong. Now, if their behavior requires some correction, that's fine. Do that at a separate time. Do that and say, you may even say, hey, I was wrong in how I handled this. We still need to talk about this issue. We need to have a conversation another time about this. But right now, I just need to tell you, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? 
is powerful to watch what God does to your child's heart when you humble yourself that way. I've had to do it many times. Some of you may, may have had to do it many times. Some of you may say, I don't believe you should, you should do that. Why not? Why shouldn't we humble ourselves before our children if we've wronged them? Uh, how do we expect them to learn? Because, see, we're modeling this for our kids. We're modeling what this is supposed to look like. This is the instruction that we're giving them. We'll talk about this a little bit later. So right now, ask the Lord to reveal. And if he reveals, ask him, do I need to go to my children or one of my children? Do I need to ask their forgiveness? It may not be appropriate to do it right now in this moment because of what's going on in your home or the setting, the group that you're with. You can do it later in the day. But say, Lord, I purpose to do it. And I won't let the sun go down tonight before I make attempt to do that. You'll be amazed to see what God does. I can tell you the turning point in my parenting with my children has often happened. Turning points have often happened in those times where I humbled myself before them. God bless you. We'll see you in a minute. Welcome back. As we continue in Ephesians 6, 4, we get to the second half of the verse, which tells us what we're supposed to do as parents. It says that we are to bring up, bring up our children in the I always heard it. I, I, I memorized King James, the nurture and the admonition. I don't know what, thinking, what do those words mean, but I know the nurture and the admonition. Uh, ESV translated in the discipline and instruction. Those are good words as well. Let's talk about them a little bit. What does it mean? Uh, first of all, we are to bring them up. It implies that for us as parents, we have a greater level of emotional and spiritual maturity than they do because we're helping them mature. That's how we're bringing them up. That whole idea of bringing up means we're helping them mature. We're helping them grow. So not only are they growing physically, that everybody can see, but they're also, you're wanting them to grow spiritually. You're wanting them to grow emotionally. And by the way, don't overlook the emotional component. It is a huge deal, which means, parents, that you and I have to be growing emotionally if we're going to help our children grow emotionally. They aren't usually going to outrun us in that area and because they learn from us. So be aware of that, this bringing up. This is the command. By the way, it is fathers and mothers. Sometimes there is this idea that with the dad, my job is to provide for my family. My wife, she does all the other stuff with the kids. No, you are invested in this. They, in order for their emotional health, um, for their emotional well-being and their health, They need you to be engaged and be involved in this. Now, God can do it in other ways. He can use other relationships, but he wants to use you to do this. And so I encourage you. One of the things I've discovered in our own family is that when they're little, when they were much younger, they needed Lori way more than they needed me. Uh, She was much more that nurturer. When they fell down, they didn't run to me because usually it was, ah, dust out, you're good. You know, nothing broken. You're not bleeding too much. You're great. Um, they didn't come to me for care and nurture and all those kind of things. But as they get older, I find that there is much more relationship and much more need that they have for me because there are things that I bring to the table uh, in, in inspiration and encouragement and challenge that you can't. I know you can do more than you believe you can do. And so there's a role for both men and women, both mothers and fathers in this. We're bringing them up in the discipline all right, you think, I got the discipline part, I got my belt handy, got my stick ready, you know what? That's not really the idea, although it, uh, correction is involved in the word. The idea of discipline here are the boundaries and the hands-on modeling that you do with your child, especially when they're young. Let me give you an example. When my kids are little and, you know, when I'm three years old and they're running for the street, 
I don't stop and yell after them and say, we need to sit down and have a conversation about where you're going and what you're doing. That's not appropriate at three. I physically reach out and I grab them and I restrain them and I bring them back in. And then I might talk to them a little bit, but more than that, I just put boundaries around. I don't try to explain cars are traveling at this speed, they weigh a lot, they hit you, it does this to your body. I don't try to explain any of that. This is simply the boundaries. You're three, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do. They don't understand all of it, they can't reason through it, they don't need to. And when they violate those boundaries, there are consequences that come. Never in anger. This is a huge deal, though. There needs to be discipline of children, but ne- and especially when they're smaller, but never in anger. If you're angry, take a timeout. Before you put them in timeout, put yourself in timeout. That's the appropriate place for timeout. Don't deal with them when you're still angry, when you're trying to prove a point. Um, you, take, you step back. You catch your breath. And then you're able to address it and say, you know what? Remember, my job is to teach you to obey. You disobeyed. This was the boundary. You stepped over it. There are consequences that go with that. Um, this is very important when they're younger. As they get older, you're switching more, and the scripture lays this out, you're switching more from the discipline, if you will, to the instruction. This is where I have more conversations. We do this a lot now with my kids my age. You know, I have one who's almost 20, 17, and one who's 13, almost 14. And so we have a lot of conversations. We, some of them cause us to laugh. Some of them cause us to cry. Um, all of them, I would say, are good. They they may not feel good at the moment, but they're all good. Because what they're allowing is to develop, to instruct in how we think. Because the word instruction here literally means to put in mind. And it says we're disciplining and instructing in the Lord. We're creating boundaries because the Lord does that for us. He creates boundaries. And we're putting in mind what the Lord would want them to have in their mind. We're We're helping them begin to understand and think through. We're asking questions. We're, we're drawing them out. Um, and again, we're giving some space. All of my children are different. I have to address them in different ways. Um, some will communicate with me more freely, and they'll just start talking. Others, they have to warm up to it. They have to, they, and I didn't understand that. Uh, with one of my children in particular, when they were younger, I tried to force the issue because I'm the father. I'm in charge, and I want to settle this right now. i got other things to do. And I need to get this done and move on. And so you need to talk to me and we need to sell this and get going. That didn't work so well. All right, again, because it's oppressive, it's, it's heavy-handed, it's controlling. It has no consideration for how that child is made. How, I love the scripture where it says, train up a child in the way that they're bent. Um, the King James says in the way they should go. But literally, the, Hebrew, the way they're bent, every child is bent a different direction. They have different gifts. They have different personalities. They have just different things about them. I look at my three kids, and they're all uniquely different. And I think, how did you all come from the same parents? But they're all uniquely different. And so I want to instruct them understanding those differences. You want to do that with your children. It takes time sometimes to do this. And it doesn't always happen as quickly as you want. One of the things that I've discovered in this process is that I thought parenting was a quick... You know, just teach them the stuff, and then they'll abide by it, and everybody will be happy. It takes years, but it takes me years as well, because they're not the only ones learning. If you talk to my children today, they will all tell you that I'm a better father today than I was when they were younger. It's not because I'm special. It's not because um, I'm the pastor. It is because in this process, there's a cry of my heart that says, God, 
I want to look more like you in every part of my life, including how I parent. I want to parent the way you would parent them, Jesus. I've done a lousy job at times of doing that. I acknowledge that, but I want to be filled by you. I want to be controlled by you. And from this point, from this day forward, I want to do this your way and not my way. And you know what? I have said that a thousand times. I've prayed that a thousand times. And I've gone back to them probably a thousand times and said, you know what? I messed up, but we're going we're gonna to adjust course here. In other areas, it may not be that I was wrong in what I was asking. I was wrong in the way I was asking it. The Holy Spirit is our guide in this. We go back to chapter, uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 19. Remember when we started this whole section of how we're going to deal with one another? It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will not do this in your own strength. You won't do this because you read the right book, although books can be helpful. You won't do this because you got advice from 14 of your closest friends, All right, although that also can be helpful. The power of the Holy Spirit will change you, and as it changes you, it'll change your children. And so I, I challenge you, I encourage you in this. Discipline, boundaries, hands-on, especially when they're young, but as they're growing, and this is where it takes wisdom from the Holy Spirit, when do you begin to take hands off a little bit? While they're still living in your home, give them some room, and let me give you one more challenge. Okay, I'm just sharing from my heart. These are things, I don't have all the answers. These are just things I've had to live through and continue to live through. How, how do you know when it's right to take your hands off? When, how much freedom do you give them? And when do you do it a certain age? My kids are right, at what age can I do that? We had this conversation last night. At what age can I do this? I don't know, 47. And then dad, you know, and... No, seriously, I don't know what age. I'm not looking at age. I'm looking at other things. I'm looking at your walk with the Lord. I'm looking at emotional growth and health. I'm looking at the situation and the the specifics of the situation. We're praying together and listening to the Lord's voice in it. But I promise you this, I'll be on the journey with you, and we'll listen to him. And when he says yes, I'm going to be all in. And so the reality is here, sometimes our kids want these clear things that we can't give them because we don't know. What I can promise them is that I'll be on this journey with you. I'm right in there with you. I care about it as much as you do. I hear you. I'm not cutting you off. I'm not ignoring you. But I want to walk with you in this journey. And and your mother, we want to walk with you in this journey. It's really, really important. And I would say this. Give them some room to fail along the way. I think one of the the dangers that we have in the mindset as parents, maybe even as Christian parents, if our children mess up, they make us look bad. You're going to have to get over that. You need to die to that. Matter of fact, you need to put that to death today, your image and what you look like as a parent. It will mess you up in parenting. Your job is not to have your children look good so that people think you're a good parent. That's not, that's not what this is all about. Give them some room to make mistakes, little mistakes along the way, and then you can guide some more before they get to a point where you don't have that opportunity and they make big mistakes that change the course of the rest of their life. And so, again, give them some space. Give them some room. The Holy Spirit's going to give you wisdom. You say, Troy, how much and how do I know it? Can I call you with my... No, you can't call me with all your situations. I don't have answers for all of those, but the Holy Spirit does. So ask Him. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Won't you take some time just to ponder what the Lord's speaking to you right now? 
All right, welcome back. You know, this fine line between instructing and encouraging, giving them room uh, to make mistakes, and yet trying to share wisdom with them and helping them avoid certain mistakes, it, it really is a balancing. It is often more art than it is science. Although there are instructions, there are things. There are things that Lori and I have used, and I'll share with you that we found helpful. Different books and things. Um, Shepherding a Child's Heart um, by Paul David Tripp uh, has been an excellent resource. Um, I can't remember the author, but Lori was just mentioning one to me. Good and Angry is a, is a great book, um, talking about how God builds character in you and then in turn builds character in your children, uh, dealing with these emotional things. And so there are resources out there, and there are many others, and, and people you know may recommend them. I'm not telling you not to use those things. I'm simply saying that the Holy Spirit's going to have to do a personal work in you and in your family. You won't get it from a book or from someone else's experience. He's going to tailor-make it for you. Now, as we're walking this journey, and this has been hard for me, I did not come from a family where you got praise. Um, High praise in my family was you didn't screw that up as much as we thought you would. That was high praise in my family. All right? And so I did not understand this idea of encouraging, of inspiring, of helping to see what God's putting in my children, what he's placed there, and encouraging them toward it. And I'm still learning in this process. But I have discovered along the way, and Lori's helped me a lot because she's a natural encourager, but we respond better to encouragement than we do criticism in general. That doesn't mean that correction doesn't need to take place. It does. But encouragement, inspiration, help, people believing in you. There are some people right now in my life that sometimes I just walk by them, I see them, and I just stop and I say, you know what, you're okay. And they'll smile, and I smile, and that's all I do, and I keep on walking. But it means a lot, because sometimes we wonder, am I really okay? Am I normal? Am I messed up? Am I so messed up that it's hopeless? And somebody just said, you know what, you're okay. You're all right. You're doing well. Um, Keep going. Don't stop. Well, I was challenged by this story. I don't know if you've ever heard of Benjamin West. Benjamin West was a painter. And he actually was the painter for King George III. He was the historical painter for King George III. When he was young, probably seven or eight years old, his mom had to run an errand, and he's watching his younger sister. And he found some bottles of of colored ink. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to paint her portrait. Her name was Sally. I'm going to paint her portrait and keep her involved, you know. And so anyway, he's trying to be a good big brother and taking care of her. While he's doing this, He did what a seven or eight-year-old would do. He got paint on the table. He got paint on the chair. He got paint on the floor. Um, And so, or got ink, different colored ink. So mom comes back and she sees all this. Now, if you're like me as a parent, you have seen this before. You've gone through this. In this very room where we're at right now, I'll never forget, I came home, Elizabeth and one of her friends had taken these big sheets of styrofoam that somebody had come packed in, and they decided it would be fun to play with them and break them up. When you break that stuff up, it's little bitty beads that float everywhere and stick to everything, and it's a mess. And then they realized after they created snowfall in our, in our room here, that they need to clean it up. So then they clogged up the vacuum cleaner trying. So I thought, well, let's get the blower. So they got the leaf blower to try to blow it out. Well, now I've got white stuff in the front yard, and I've got it scattered all over the house as well. And Lori and I come home to this. And I wish I could tell you that I responded like Benjamin West's mother. I did not. I was pretty upset with them. And, and you have to work through that, okay? But Benjamin West walks in and or his mother walks in, and she sees all of this, and she doesn't say anything. She just walks over. She's quiet for a minute. She walks over, and she picks up the drawing that he had done, 
and recognizes it's good. And she goes, this is Sally. And she reaches over and she kisses him right on the forehead. And later, when he's a grown man, Benjamin West said, I became a painter the day that my mother kissed me. She encouraged what she saw in him. She encouraged the talent that God had put there. Now, did he need some instruction about how to do it in a neater way? Absolutely. We need boundaries. That's part of what we do. Sometimes as parents, we focus too much on the instruction and not enough on the encouragement. God has put tremendous things in our children. I pray that he gives you and me eyes to see them, to see after the spirit, not after the flesh, and to be able to work with him in developing what he's put into our children. God bless you. Grace and peace.